All right, so uh, second installment of our podcast, Drinking Coffee. Uh, so today I have with me uh, Matt. He's uh, been with us uh, uh, some time. He, I consider everyone on the team uh, a, a superstar. I, I may embellish that a little bit, but uh, Matt, in my opinion, is probably one of the best front of house people in the business in terms of reading the customer, making a customer feel comfortable, and being efficient in delivering uh, a quality coffee and experience. Um, but I'll let him tell you more about himself in a minute. Uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a coffee that we kind of uh, wait all year to get in. Um, this coffee is from Ethiopia. It's from the Yirgashef, uh sort of sub-region within Ethiopia. And within the Yirgashef region, it is uh, the wash station is Reiko. Um, so... Yirgashef on a map in Ethiopia is almost due north of where Sadamo is. So if you've ever had a Sadamo, Yirgashef is due north. I can't tell you how many kilometers. And then other, other common coffees you might see, uh, like the coffee we had in earlier this year, which was a Limu. Limu is uh, northwest of Yirgashef. So it's almost like a little line or a star constellation. And every year, this time of year, um, kind of late summer, uh, er, uh, late spring, early summer, midsummer, we are always very excited to get a really, really spectacular Yerga Chef in the shop. So this particular coffee is, in my opinion, no different. Um, I think this is a tremendous coffee this year. Um, reminiscent of not last year, but the prior year we had this coffee in. Um, this coffee is a wash coffee. Um, it is uh, grown about 1,800 to, to 2,100 meters, so it's pretty, pretty high. 2,100 meters, I think 2,200 meters might be the highest I've seen a coffee grown. Um, and it is harvested in October through January, and we start to see it once it's shipped, sort of, well, late, late spring, early summer, mid-summer, depending on what uh, that transit time's like. Um, this coffee is, uh, it comes to us from Trabaco, which is a coffee importing company that's based in Amsterdam, uh, but they have U.S. offices. Um, and so um, I think the African, the Ethiopian coffees we've got from them the last couple of years have been pretty special. And I feel fortunate to, to be able to have these coffees in the shop. And if you actually Google Reiko and Ethiopia and Yerga Chef, uh, you'll see a lot of brand name roasters with Reikos. Uh, like for instance, I think Madcap has a Reiko. I'm not saying it's from the same, um, same importer or uh, travels the same route to them, but it is, a, it is a washing station region that produces exceptional coffee. And you'll see a lot of exceptional roasters booking those coffees and offering, this time of, offering them this time of year. So again, uh, I have with me uh, Matt. Matt has been with Sump probably, probably from almost the minute of inception, although he wasn't part of the inception. That's how long Matt has been with us the most. Um, Matt is probably the person who taught me how to do latte art. Um, but um, Matt uh, you know, has a history uh, in coffee before he came to Sump. But I think you've been here about five years. Is it five? So we were open I about started, six months. I think my five years was in May. Wow. 
because you opened in December. Yeah. I came and checked it out. Yeah. And then slowly, I started working. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. It's so it's so crazy because it was. Uh, I had no business opening a coffee shop. I did not know what it was going to take. It was more of a romantic vision, and uh, and Matt was one of the early ones that that came on board, and stuck with my insanity, until we became. I feel like a little bit more like a proper company, not completely, fully, proper and everything, but a yeah. little bit closer than when it was you or I that pulled every shot that came, that went out of this uh, shop essentially. So that takes a lot of stress off of. Well, hopefully a lot of people, but but I will let you, Matt, um, just tell the folks at home as much as you want about yourself in terms of how you found your path to coffee sure. uh, and um, what you might have done before and, and what it is that compels you to stay in coffee, um, you know, outside of Sump or just sort of why have you found so much longevity in this? So I got my start in coffee when I was in college. I, um, I was looking for a job outside of retail. At the time, I was working at Urban Outfitters, and I had been there for almost four years. And um, I was just, it was mundane. It was like the same thing over and over, uh, folding shirts. Yeah. And I got really good at that, but I didn't really see myself moving up in that company. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to find something else that was kind of more engaging mm-hmm. because that place is big and yes there's customer service but it's kind of robotic mm-hmm. or it, it doesn't have to be but mm-hmm. I don't know I was looking at something a little more focused where you can build relationships with clientele people you see every day no one comes in and like buys a pair of jeans every single day right whereas like people will do that with coffee all the time so I started looking around I got on Craigslist and Lucky enough, Caldi's Coffee was doing one of their career fairs. Wow. Through Craigslist. Through Craigslist. Oh, you found this. So I went to the career fair. I had my resume. I sat down with someone named Aaron Johnson. No way. All right. I told him what I was looking for. I was looking to be definitely someone making coffee. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to just kind of learn that craft. Um... I drank a lot of Starbucks mm. in college, but I even applied to a Starbucks, too. Oh, yeah? I just got the job at Caldi's. Oh, well. Thank God. Um, yeah, right. But it was interesting because Aaron quickly turned me to Kevin mm. Reddy, who was running um, not the Crescent, but Kayaks at mm-hmm. the time. And I was talking to the both of them, and it seemed like I was going to get the job at Kayaks. But then, like, a week later, I got a call from Aaron. And he brought me on as a barista, even though he wasn't looking for baristas. Wow. So, yeah, I got my start at the Crescent location in Caldi's, and I was pretty eager. I kind of jumped right in. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to produce. And um, I had heard, I don't know how accurate it is, but a friend, Casey Climbs, had said something along the lines of, like, a traditional latte is the hardest drink to make. And at the time, this was like 2007, so maybe it was. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of like texture preparation, it was like really like the thing that like showed someone's skill. Mm-hmm. And something about that got underneath me, and I just like I just went at it. Yeah, like 
man, I made so many cappuccinos. I made cappuccinos for everyone on staff or in the kitchen who wanted one. And it, it, and it wasn't even the shot. It was everything. It was the shot. It was the milk. It was even the artwork. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get any artwork until maybe like four months in. Like, it took a while. Yeah. But, you know, that stuck with me. And then I think my focus started turning into just espresso. Mm-hmm. Like, honing in on that. Um, I remember, like, there wasn't a lot of knowledge with coffee mm-hmm. at the time or information out. So it, it was just kind of whatever someone told you, you took it and who was better than you and you just kind of embraced that mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, all this information we have today. Yeah. Um, so I remember hearing about, like, the golden ratio or, like, the 1.65. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is when we just started using timers and scales. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember... Joe Morocco came in and he was like the lead of Caldi's and I was like I'm on bar I want to pull Joe a shot like I'm going to serve him the best shot of Caldi 700 he's ever had yeah and you know I hit all the what I thought were these like perfect numbers yeah um and obviously it's not that cookie cutter so yeah the shot was over extracted but he, he was super polite and gave me feedback and mm-hmm. I was like, awesome. And that just made me go, okay, this clearly doesn't work all the time. Yeah. There's got to be more. Right. Um, so that was my path. I just kept on trying to consume more information I can find. Mm-hmm. I remember using, I hadn't left college at the time, but I remember using my friend's college like logins to access coffee articles that were produced, that weren't published, mm-hmm. that like only databases university databases yeah. had like food science yeah like yeah. food science and mm-hmm. stuff like that that's how hungry i was for this information and mm-hmm. like to get my hands on like some of scott rouse early books were like awesome mm-hmm. um yeah i kept pushing and then you opened this mm-hmm. and you had a slayer yep and i remember that was like the drive like everyone came back into the shop and i was like this guy's got a slayer mm-hmm. and slayer's brand new and mm-hmm. it's changing the game I was like, I gotta go see this thing. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like having the Slayer, and not really having an idea or a skill set of what we were gonna become, helped buoy the business definitely t- to that point to getting a plan. <laughs> you know, the Slayer was the bridge. It was the. It was yeah. It was it was a new company, new concepts. It was the beginning of, of, as you said, you know, this field of extraction science and brewing, um, opening up and really discovering what was possible in, in espresso and coffee. And so I do think that that red sled that we had for a little while was, 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 was the draw and it wasn't what we were, it wasn't what we had figured out. But quickly we did figure out and we did through I think maybe by not being too classically trained in coffee we did figure out kind of what we like to experience yeah taste and we let that drive it instead of like a lot of the algebra that can also drive it like uh, percent uh, total dissolved solids or you know numbers which are all helpful in a whole coupled with how how something tastes but I would like to uh, just hit on a couple of highlights you mentioned. So uh, this is the second 
podcast we already mentioned Aaron. Uh, so Aaron Johnson, uh, yeah, he worked here for a while as a barista. He is now the principal behind Rise uh, Coffee in the Grove, but he was also the general manager at the Crescent where you worked, right? And uh, he, he's, he's a great guy, and um, he's got a tremendous history in coffee. Starbucks, Caldi's, now his own thing, little little time here and there. Um, and then you also mentioned Kevin. Kevin is one of the principals of Blueprint Coffee here in St. Louis. So, again, this is a theme that we sort of hit on uh, yesterday with Robert or in the, in the podcast regarding the Congo. But it's a small coffee competitive community. And in some way or another, somebody has worked for, worked with, or drank coffee with somebody that's running one of these more you know, specialty uh, grade coffee shops. Uh, and the last thing I want to hit on is we are eternally grateful to Urban Outfitters for giving you that apprenticeship on folding. Because anytime I see anyone take a run at trying to fold the shirts here after somebody goes through them, it's just so cringeworthy. There's like, there's no way I can do it. I just feel like powerless. I can barely fold my own t-shirts, and you do it without a board or anything. You know, I think that's yeah. I they mean, tried to force me to use a board, and you're fast. You're and I'm like, way faster without yeah, it. So, I think that that it's a it's probably a skill. You probably thought, all right, I'm done with Urban Outfitters. I, well, I probably won't use it. It's great at home. Yeah, it, and here, I mean, you just whip through it, you manage the inventory, you keep it all neat and tight, and so I, I think that's awesome. But anyway, so uh, we want to talk a little bit about this coffee. So again, this is the uh, Yuria Chef, this is the, the Reiko. Um, we, uh, we brewed it up, brewed it up similar to uh, the same ratio as the Congo. So 25 grams of ground coffee, 350 milliliters of water, probably around 203, 204 by the time it hits the coffee. Um, we changed the grind setting a little bit. I think this is a little bit coarser than the Congo, but fairly similar in terms mm -hmm. of their density. This is a very tiny, tight bean. The Congo's a little larger. Um, the varietals here, I think, are the same varietals you'll find listed for most Ethiopian uh, coffees, and they just say heirloom varietal. So, the birthplace of coffee is Ethiopia. They have the oldest and most genet diverse genetic diversity, and a lot of the varietals are not fully cataloged or categorized. And the way coffee is bought and sold uh, in, in Ethiopia, it's through a ch uh, exchange, kind of a government-run exchange, although that has been loosened this last year. Um, so you can buy some direct farm stuff, uh, but because of that, most everything's pooled. Uh, most of the farms are very small uh, size, so I can't give you a number, but smaller than typical like Guatemala-sized farms. And so they go to these mills, uh, and they get dried and pulped and processed and sorted and graded, and then assigned a grade and then sold through the exchanges. So we can't really say much about the varietals except that they are yummy varietals. And, uh, and so we brewed it, and we've let it cool for a little bit, and now we're going to do some shallow pours and start talking about the, the coffee. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the dry um, um, aromatics of the coffee. Um, to me, I, I, it depends on the day, depends on the time of day, depends on what I've eaten, not eaten, 
how much my beard is interfering. But I get, I can get really nice soft stone fruit in the aromatics. I can get a suggestion of milk chocolate, but sometimes I do get um, herbaceous something. Not fully green, but something that, knowing how this coffee tastes, I'm not fully expecting. But the, but but it's not a defect. It's just something that maybe on the finish of all those sort of lush, kind of stone fruity, slight suggestion of chocolate, um, uh, I get something herbaceous. I don't know what you find. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the more I focus on the coffee, especially leading up to this, I would call that green tea quality, or to me, it's like a green tea. Yeah. Um, even though the cup is very much black tea-esque, and that's classic Ethiopia, but yeah, there is, I've noticed that. Yeah. That slightly young green. Yeah. Of the earth, maybe. Yeah. It's a note. It's hard it's, to quantify. It's totally hard to quantify. I, do, I get almost like a peach pie aromatic. Mm. Like... The pie crust. Yeah. And that just, you know, baking something. Yes. Baking coffee beans, baking yeah. flour. It's yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So sometimes that dough or pastry quality to me is also a suggestion of sweetness. Yeah, is definitely. Really, really what it But so bready, but not yeasty, not fermenty. No, none of that. C- complimentary pastry. Um uh, I also, I think I forgot to say at the top, this is also another um, uh, organic and organic, I think it's certified uh, coffee that we have in. Um, although, again, we didn't select it because it was organic. We selected it because it was really tasty. Um, so uh, I have it in my cup and Matt had it in his cups and we're going to experience this firsthand. I get I get like in the in the aromatics before the sip this bergamot, yeah yeah like Definitely. like you said black tea I get that like classic bergamot citrus yeah yeah very like pleasant I get a little excited when I smell that <laughs> yeah me too um, but yeah so I, I would definitely say that um, that some notes before it even gets in your mouth would be some suggestion of peach or a stone fruit. Could be an apricot, um, something green. I think I would go with that green tea. You know, it's something. Just, it's yeah. not. It's not like peas or green beans. No. Yeah, it's no. not that. It's, it's not very off-putting. clean. Yeah, and but then black tea, bergamot, um, those kind of impressions. Right? I do get like that black pepper in the nose as well. Dry, or even dry, even, even dry. dry. I think it's more present after you brew it. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. It's not like your classic table black pepper. Yeah. Um, I think of it as like more of a high-end, fresh... Like cracked pe- pepper? Peppercorn? Yeah, cracked pepper. Yeah. Like not peppercorns like- can be... They're always spicy, but they can be floral. Yeah. And somewhat fruity, too, which is awesome. Wow. So, it, like, I don't want to make it sound like it's gourmet crack yeah, pepper it is gourmet but, it's yeah, important it's just something you know thoughtful or yeah. it's just not ground and yeah. it's sitting there and doesn't really s- smell like anything right yeah right. It, it's a very pleasant right. pepper quality yeah 
all fresh. And I mean, I think that's like this, these, this bouquet of notes are all like, again, very active ingredients as opposed to what you're suggesting. Kind right. of like, I've, I got this spice rack and I've had these spices <laughs> for five years. Everything smells the same and nothing smells at all kind of thing. It, these are all, it's very lively, very, very clear, apparent, and I think for the most part, complimentary. Uh, and then for me, the first sip, I mean, I think the first sip helped inform how it smells brewed to me right away for this uh, discussion was that black tea, bergamot, um, maybe maybe black pepper. But the first thing I noticed, again, it's still, I wouldn't call it room temperature, but it's, it's come off like 25, 30 degrees, I think, since we brewed it. Yeah. But there is a... That, that sort of pleasant dryness you get from a black tea or astringency that isn't from like a low-grade Lipton, let's say. It, it's a, it's a complementary. It's not just dry and that's it. Um, and th that's sort of my first impression is like there's this nice black tea suggestion of bergamot and kind of astringency that kind of finishes the cup. And I think as it starts to cool a little bit more, that softens that astringency maybe and I get more of this like dilute peach juice peach snapple peach snapple before <laughs> they sold it when yeah. it was really good and they're just making it in New York and yeah. it, was, it was like a unicorn you couldn't get it anywhere unless you're in New York that's actually I, I used to get it in New York yeah my grandpa would buy it by the case yeah. and I would take them and, and you I get loved it. it. Yeah. So it's not like sweet. It's like just the perfect compliment. Yeah. I think as opposed to like saccharin, like, oh yeah, there's peach and tea and sugar and it's for me. This is like all softer and I feel like that's what that original Snapple peach tea experience was. It was it was it was you know, it was it was thoughtful. It wasn't mass produced yet. It is a really pleasant dry quality. Mm -hmm. It kind of, it's almost, it reminds me of a, not taste, but experience, like almost like a rosé. Like how a rosé can be dry, but it's just so clean and refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like this heavy lingering dryness, but yep. it's. This is a, this is a, a perfect summertime coffee. I think that's like, all I think when I drink these coffees. And, it's just awesome that they come around in summer. Yeah. Because yeah. it really complements the hot weather. The hot weather. Yeah. For sure. So other things about this cup that I think complement the hot weather, that the body is fairly light. I would say it's one of the lighter mouth-feeling coffees we have in the shop. So um, somebody recently described it. We had some winemakers in. They described it like tea. And they were surprised. Although I would not go as far as say it's tea, I still think it stands up and it represents well on the palate and it has a nice linger. So to me, it feels substantial. But I think to somebody who's drinking something black and inky, this is so clean and kind of, as we talked about, appropriate for a hot weather that it may really strike somebody as being super super light like tea yeah um but, but if you were to put it next to a cup of black yeah. peach tea yeah it would clearly be coffee yeah yeah but 
also one other thing, and you hit on this before, is that we've talked about this in the shop before, but I think almost all of these coffees, and I, I could be wrong, all of them that are produced that are washed have some hint of black pepper in them. Like it could be very small, like a Jürgen Chef. I feel like a lot of coffees from that region, I will key in and pick that up. And it could be just me keying in and picking it up because I'm trying to see what other people have done with that same note, how they've either gotten rid of it or maybe mistakenly amplified it or amplified it in a way that's complementary to some other aspect in the cup. But it's almost like a Kenyan how you typically can find softer notes of tomato or harder notes of tomato. I can, I feel like I can, f it's an earth component and it could be maybe the green tea aspect, but there's a earth component to this cup that is not dirty or woody or, or like moist earth. There's no musty kind of like other coughs, coffees that I might describe as earthy. This just has that just by calling it black pepper, I don't even know where pepper comes from, honestly. Do you know how they make pepper? <laughs> it's a weird little, like, green, like, skin. And it grows above ground? It grows above ground. Okay. It's almost like a, I don't want to say grapevine, but yeah. they look like little clusters. Okay. And so inside is the seed, and they dry it. Wow. And that's it. And that's it. I don't know the full production of it, but I've well, seen, like grown like fresh pepper yeah like, wow. you can even go to the store and buy like pickled pepper corns wow and they look like that they're like little stalks and they're all these little balls and wow. each inside one ball is the peppercorn wow yeah well then i can see that because you know coffee's a seed yeah peppercorn there could be just the seed related sure where they're grown though where's pepper i've needed? never seen fields of peppercorns <laughs> in california i don't know i didn't even know like exactly any of that until you just told me so but, um, yeah, so I think, I think the characteristics for the cup, and you, know, you can speak a little more on this, uh, especially since you, uh, you do so much work with it espresso-wise. Um, but I think kind of floral, black tea, bergamot, a little stone fruit, whether you want to go peach or something else, but a pitted soft fruit, so not really yellow citrus or green citrus or orange, none of that. Um, something earthy could be a little green tea suggestion could be this suggestion of black pepper kind of a light mouthfeel but a long linger for me it's it's actually crazy for how clean and light the coffee is yeah it lingers yeah it's like i feel as time. i'm as i'm talking it's just still like laying all over there and i'm still like sensing it and that's helping me talk about it where other coffees will have a quicker finish and i have to get back in the cup and experience that. And then one other thing about this coffee, I think why we embrace it so heavily is because it is hot right now and today is a scorcher. Uh, and uh, we started doing espresso tonics just like everyone else in the world did a couple of years ago. But we found that there are only a few varietals or a few coffees that work in tonic water. And we find that this one is one of them. And so one of the reasons we celebrate this coffee is because of those kind of citrus tea-like notes uh, play very well against the quinine in a tonic water. And so it really makes the espresso tonic feel lively and refreshing instead of gritty and heavy like some other coffees feel like they turn the tonic water and it becomes ashy. And so 
From the espresso side, Matt has uh, tremendously more experience with it this year than I have because I have not pulled any shots of it this year. And I've only been fortunate enough to have a couple of uh, shots uh, since we put it on the menu. And depending on who's on bar, um, the shots will vary. Uh, and they vary because I think people are interpreting this coffee based on the amount of pre-infusion they feel it needs. So some people have tried you know, big pre-infusion, some people have tried no pre-infusion. So I've seen this shot present actually more citrusy than I think is necessarily in the coffee. So more yellow citrus actually. Mm -hmm. So as a brood cup, I don't find much of. I've seen it come across almost all stone fruit and sweetness and the aromatics are super intense and they suggest the same thing. And then I've seen other shots like the shot today that started out this morning, a little more balanced, very light and thin because of the long pre-infusion. Um, not as much fruit and more of the, that, I think those earthy notes we are wrestling with. So whether it be black pepper or this kind of green kind of uh, matcha or something like that. So it has a range. Uh, I prefer that fruit forward peach and sweetness with the beautiful aromatics. I know it's not always easy to get, but maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of what you've seen and why some people uh, in the shop end up, uh, you know, in different places or what you see the challenges for getting that coffee in that sweet spot. Sure. I, I think the coffee, it's still new. So we are getting comfortable with like where it lives. There's some that we've been with so long. We've yeah. really explored where that, where we like it. Yeah. You know, we've gone up, down, pre-infusion, none. Um, so I still think we are experimenting with it. Mm -hmm. One thing that seems to be constant is that it likes to be pulled quickly. Mm. If you do have the time go long, more contact time, it does get that chocolate note, mm -hmm. which is pretty crazy that you even get that out of it. Mm -hmm. And that, that hard savory kind of, not savory, earthy, mm -hmm. that peppercorn. Mm -hmm. And I think its strengths are the citrus and the stone fruit. Mm -hmm. Um but in turn, like you said, where you liked it, some days you can get almost like this peaches and cream quality, mm -hmm. but with all those beautiful like citrus floral aromatics. Mm -hmm. I like it there too, but um, sometimes it's not always there. Yeah, sometimes I feel like, I mean, you know, it's not like I feel like nobody is trying to put a coffee like this coffee nobody's trying to create that pull out that earthy profile i think as a shop and as a team we kind of all have we've all understand the same philosophy you know all our palettes are going to be slightly different but we've tried very hard to calibrate mm -hmm. and so no one's looking for that but um sometimes that's the only i guess spot that people feel they can get anything that's workable for them i would agree i yeah. think that people probably first started pre-infusing is because as a straight shot since it does like to be pulled quicker it's very likely to kind of channel and become a very messy quick shot yeah um so you do have to if you are going to pull it straight you really have to pay attention to how you're preparing the espresso yeah very even distribution very packed down puck yeah so that when that water hits it it's going to come center and no flow chance. really yeah. nicely um and it's a light coffee anyway so it's not super viscous mm -hmm. so that even when it does start flowing you can almost see how like 
watery it is, mm-hmm. but not yeah. more tea-like. Yep. Not this like real chocolatey, right. dense right. looking shot. Right. Uh, but it's really exciting. So when you mean quick, you mean like 24, 22, 23, 24, which okay, yeah, is definitely seconds, which yeah. is fast. Yeah. Not many coffees for us live in that right. range. Right. Not um, many live at 23. I know yeah. That for sure. When you get down there, they start, usually taste over extract. Things happen too fast. Yeah. Or under extract. Under. Thin. Yeah. Thin. Yeah. Astringent. Sour. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I found that it does help to add some pre-brew to the shot. Yeah. I think that I started playing with the idea of like very short pre-brew times around five or six seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and my thought behind it was more of like the introduction of water, like softly introducing water, not slamming it with nine bars, yep. not allowing it to saturate so you're losing kind of a lot of the high notes, mm-hmm. like the citrus qualities or the floral aromatics, mm-hmm. but to just like ease into the extraction. Mm-hmm. And that's where I find a lot of the fruit mm-hmm. um, comes out. Mm-hmm. And you do kind of bury and shy away from that savoriness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those days where it it really is that just it's a very exciting shot. It has mm-hmm. crazy aromatics, mm-hmm. but the cup is so sweet. Like it's one of those shots that just has such sessionability. Yeah, that like when I finish one, I instantly want another. Yeah, one, yeah, which is rare. Well, I've come into the shop several times since we've had it on bar, and I feel like the shop smells like peaches to me. It's awesome. And it's so, I mean, and that is not, that is not, that is rarely the case. You know, it usually smells not savory, but more strongly of like classic kind of coffee, ground coffee smells. Um, Do you think that a little bit of pre-infusion, do you think that it, it does away with the channeling? And so the extraction is more uniform. And so at that profile, that's why you're getting the fruit. And when you don't, you get channeling and you get some of these uneven notes that I feel like sometimes even some of the you know baristas that are, are, are pulling it are are really challenged to get on top of it I mean because it's I mean I feel like that amount of pre-infusion is almost like the espresso machines you see where they do a ramp up and a ramp down and the pre-infusion is essentially a little bit of line pressure right. for a couple of seconds before it goes into the, the pump pressure and uh you know, that seems like it saturates everything, creates a little bit more uniformity of the bed, maybe move some of the smaller particles a little bit lower in the puck. And then since everything's wet, you're not going to get this puck that's cracked or fissured and get all this weird channeling and really not control your extraction. Right. So I think what led me to the shorter pre-infusion times was kind of my own research on blogs and videos on Slayer extractions. Mm -hmm. And I know Slayer is not an advocate of the VST baskets. Yes. Which we use. And I've seen people talk about how if you try to pull a Slayer shot with a VST basket, as in like full saturation, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be a proper extraction. It's just the way they've set up that type of just full saturation. I forget what they said. It's like too many holes, right? Yeah, it's too many. many. Too many holes. So, from then on, I stopped doing full saturated pucks. Mm -hmm. I think, one, it just takes 
too long. Yeah. And it's not very practical in the setting when you're trying to get shots out and you just spent a whole minute on an extraction and yeah. it didn't work out. Right. That that really eats up your time. Um, but I had read somebody say that if you do smaller, like five or six seconds, it's kind of imitating old school lever machines. Right. And so my thought was to use it as that more of a tool like that. Yeah. Like I said, like the introduction of water. Right. I, I'd say now I don't go past 12 seconds. Yeah. I think with around 12 seconds, you do get enough saturation, maybe a third or half yeah. the puck, but yeah. never full. Right. Um, I feel like... So, but to answer your question, yeah, I do think that it does help clean the shot up. Yeah. It kind of helps set everything up before you apply all the pressure. Yeah. That it... You can just visually see it. it yeah. Everything just flows center, and yeah. it's beautiful, yeah. as opposed to like all these s- sprays and squirts everywhere. Messy. Yeah. It gets real messy, and it's yeah. really easy to make messy. Yeah. Ask Dylan. Um, yeah, well, I feel like when we first got the Slayer, um, and I went out and talked to Jason, their approach was very similar to that. When we first started using the Slayer... We had pre-infusions that were more akin to, I feel like, between 5 and 12 seconds. If we go back and look at our like extraction records that we kept from that time, and then I feel like other machines came on the market mm. that allowed line pressure to essentially do that and kind of model that as you pull down a lever on a machine, that softness before you get all the way up to your extraction pressure. Um, and then Jason, or Slayer, changed that approach to really distinguish themselves and started doing stuff that's really crazy like almost a minute long shot and we got on that boat too and you can produce some really interesting shots but I think as you said it's great if you're just doing that for one person and there's no one else in the shop or you're doing it for yourself but to try and be a little practical and try and be a little more cu- customer focused, um, which I think you're excellent at, it, it's troubling to do that. And then if it doesn't work out, to sink shot it, and now you're back behind one more minute. And if somebody else comes in, you know, I feel like even the most efficient baristas, the prep and process for a shot is, you know, still. Let's say twenty. Let's say you were completely efficient, and you could have a portafilter sort of dosed and groomed, and you were pulling shots like twenty-four seconds. Don't put another one in twenty-four seconds, and then you did any associated milk work. Still, you'd be hard pressed to to I think really power through a long line of people uh, when you turn that twenty-four seconds into. An extra 35 seconds. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I mean, I think it's interesting to think about. And the Slayer is like one of those tools that really allows you to explore coffee. I agree. That that's what's great about the pre-brew is you're able to shape the extraction, they say. I feel like working with this so long and working with our coffee, I, I'm not sure their mentality of these minute-long shots is what we're looking for in coffee, yeah. which is brighter, fruitier, yeah. 
I th- if I had a chocolatey espresso and I can s- fully saturate the puck and yeah. pull out, man, you can produce such a beautiful, creamy, yeah. chocolatey shot. Yeah. Which is awesome. Right. But I don't think that's what we were doing. No. So when you pre-brew something like this Reiko for that long, you kind of you're gonna make this very clean, chocolatey, maybe some stone fruit, pleasant shot. But you're not gonna get all that excitement. Those yeah. highs get yeah. just they fade. Muddled. They, they I don't know. They just the gain out. is brought down. Yeah. 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 I I I agree. So, I'm, I think that's but you know then it's a nine bar machine then you know then you can is, use but, it too. so, so that's what's great is that we have the best both, of both worlds right. you know so people ask me about pre-brew I've tried to absorb as much as I can the thing is it's you're throwing another variable into the mix yeah alright so you have all these possibilities so there I don't think there is this definitive way to do it I just think it's another tool in your arsenal yeah that's so exactly it's just right. like I would love to just pull nine bar shots. I think that's great. But when I am not satisfied with that, right. then I have this thing that I can use to explore. It. And yeah. I'm I'm grateful to have right. it because it sometimes really makes or breaks the shot. Right. Especially when you try a nine bar and you've tried it up and down, right. and all different ratios, quick, slow, and right. it's just like there's this thing you can't get out of it. Yeah. And, and that and I think when you're faced with that and it's just a nine bar machine, I feel like it's like oh. That's it. Yeah, you just get you get another coffee, or that that coffee like not every coffee that comes in the door ends up on the bar. Uh, Sometimes it's just because we've only booked a few bags. I think it's been rare that there's only been a few coffees that didn't work out for us as an espresso. I mean, we just roast to one level, but um, I think with this machine, you know, there's this opportunity. For whatever reason, if it's humidity, if it's days off roast, if it's just that combination of beans that came from the community lot or from different elevations or whatever the tranche or I don't know if the roast curve wiggled a little bit, but it's nice to be able to have a little bit more ability to fix it or, as you said, get rid of something or hide something that you find um, unpleasant in the shot or less than desirable. Um, so, again, this coffee, uh, I think, is pretty exceptional. Uh, I like to drink it uh, brewed, and I like to almost let it go to dead room temperature and come back to it. So we still have a little bit left in the craft and our cups. Uh, it's been at least 20, 25, maybe a half hour since uh, we brewed this coffee. And what I'm starting to get now out of this coffee is more sweetness that initial hot kind of black tea dry astringency starts to soften and becomes more like a fruit rind and very complementary to that fruit note. Again, I find it's very soft. It's like it's like this impression of peach without the sweetness of peach is really how that comes across to me. And so I think this idea of the old kind of old school uh, peach snapple that one time existed in the world is very appropriate because that was not a saccharine sweet flavored iced tea drink it was something that was more suggestive of the fruit and complementary with that black tea aspect of the beverage and so that's what to me happens to this cup as it starts to basically park at like 75 degrees and I could walk away from this coffee and I mean, even on the cupping table, 
and come back after it's completely reached room temperature and then drink the whole cup and not feel like I missed anything out because it's just, I don't know, it just comes in more alignment with the fruit and I guess that's what I'm looking for or that's what I'm desire or maybe that's what I find the highest highlight of this cup. Uh, I, it's also good hot, obviously, but it's just surprising if you let a coffee go. Sometimes if you have like a French roasted coffee or just a coffee maybe that's a lot more uh, subtle and doesn't have the complexity that this coffee has. If you let something like that go to room temperature, sometimes all you get is bitter or sour or you know the separation of oils. And this, to me, this is, a, this is still really a very vibrant and complex cup. It is juice. Yeah, it is. It's like, like this... I love walking away from this coffee. Like yeah. if I brew it and we get busy, yeah. And like you said, it sits. And yeah, it comes total room. It just it totally sweetens up. Yeah, I don't know if that's this is something I haven't really seen much uh, in terms of people talk about or science, but I don't know if it's just strictly a temperature thing or it's an air oxidation thing. If it's kind of like wine, and so there's some air oxidation. Where we're That's getting some of the, the where it changes from a little bit from that dryness to the sweetness, or breeze the minute, or is it just the the loss of temperature that causes that? And I really haven't seen any writing on that. That's interesting. Yeah, I haven't. But I haven't the, thought about oxidation and letting something like opening a bottle, let it sit. You're right. Let it breathe. Let it breathe. Yeah. Or, I like. There's hot and there's cold. Yeah. To let it breathe. Right. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. So. I think we've, we've uh, uh, as I like to say, we've, we've, we've milked this cow enough. Um, so now I'd like to, uh, since I have Matt here with me, is actually kind of, uh, for those viewers and listeners and just longtime subscribers who have uh, followed our Nashville announcement, to maybe talk a little uh, in more detail about where Nashville's at and what happened and and why did it take so long and things like that so just to try and give a recap um we signed a lease for a space in nashville it's a midtown so um we signed that lease i I think it was february of 2016 so and then before we signed the lease we had to do like due diligence and sign a letter of intent and you know get lawyers and all that stuff so we've been doing this dance, I would say, for almost two years. Wow. I mean, it might be like 20 months, 19 but months, but it's a very long wow. time. So we signed the lease, as I said, uh, in early February 2016, and we thought we would be opening in October of 2016. And we announced sometime in midsummer that we were going to move, or we were going to not move, we were going to open a second shop in Nashville. Well... They did not start construction on our spot until around March first, twenty seventeen. So it was like, I mean, there were a lot. There's a lot of behind the scenes work that happens on any construction project. But the building was built, so we are in a retail space of like a five story building. I think I didn't count, but so that building was built and it has all its tenants in it. Uh, but the two retail uh, spots just kind of laid fallow for a moment and it's you know more complicated than like oh well somebody was lazy or somebody wasn't motivated or i mean nashville's a a very hot construction market 
So even just getting building permits took, I think, 11 weeks. Um, and then getting a contractor, because they have so much work that they can afford to bid high and turn jobs away because there's so much building going on there. Um, to get a contractor and to get it so that it matches your budget and expectations, that's a challenge. But needless to say, it is now um, mid-June, and every indication is, is that we will have the keys, so basically the onerous will be on us to get it across the finish line starting the end of July. So that means we'll be moving into essentially a advanced white box space so the ceilings will be painted, the floors will be sealed, all the plumbing and electrical rough-in will be there. We'll have to build the bar, the countertop. We pretty much have all the equipment. There's always going to be something we miss, but we are kind of running out of room here because we have so many boxes of stuff for uh, espresso machines or grinders or brewers or things like that. Um, so we're ready to move. So hopefully the, the goal is we actually, I mean, not the goal, but hopefully what happens is we actually do get the keys as promised. Uh, our bar builder who is in, in the Nashville market and has done a lot of stuff down there is building the bar offsite during the month of July. He will be able to move that in as soon as we get keys and assemble it, at least everything but the countertop. So we can then start uh, finishing the last sort of couple inches and yards of plumbing and power and start hooking up equipment and hopefully uh, first of September or sometime thereabout with all our permits and everything we are in business so that's the idea that's where we are right now um, and why I mention it now in this particular um, podcast is because Matt is going to go down there and, and basically um, be our cultural ambassador make sure the staff is sump worthy they're executing to the same kind of standards and experience that we've set up uh in in st louis but also at the same time understand that we'll need to make adjustments and we'll need to respond to the citizens and visitors of nashville and they're not the same um, people as the, the the people necessarily in st louis and Matt has a tremendous, um, again, as I said at the top of the podcast, I think he's one of the best there is in terms of coffee hospitality. Now, it sounds like a silly thing to say. You know, people like come in, they're like, well, what, it gives me coffee. But, I no, I, I disagree because I think if you look on enough coffee shop Yelp uh, reviews, including some of our early ones, you'll see that people feel um, intimidated. People feel... Uh, there's barista arrogance. People feel, you know, and 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 that's not how we're going to um, grow the specialty coffee market by making people feel uncomfortable or making feel making people feel like this is inaccessible or not for them. And Matt has a very comfortable uh, disposition, I think, um, and um, and he's just I think he's going to be missed here by the by our regulars for sure. Uh, but um, I think in terms of trusting the brand and the experience and what we do up here, I don't think at this point there's anyone um, that we have on staff that I, would, that I would trust more to be able to deliver that uh, and see that through uh, down in Nashville. So um, if you so inclined, Matt, to kind of maybe um, 
give us a little of your thinking in terms of why you might want to go down to Nashville <laughs> or like how you anticipate like you know um, what what well, what the early days of some Nashville might be like I think it's going to be a challenge mhm and uh I feel like I'm I need something like that right now mhm St. Louis is uh it's difficult as uh or I've had difficulties with it yeah um a lot of others and locals have expressed that, but they also love it dearly too. And I'll always love St. Louis, but I need to step out of this city to grow. Yeah, I totally and agree. I feel that Nashville is young and has energy, a lot of energy and a lot of positive energy. Yeah, that like people are really interested on in what's going on yeah. and what's happening. Whereas St. Louis is like people. There are great things happening here, but there definitely is an energy to the city that I think I need to get out of. Yeah, um, I think I think I, I agree with you. I think there's I think everyone like I, so I want to clarify what I agree with. I think everyone should leave where they grew up for a little. Yeah, while. I guess that's and, really it. And, I've been waiting for. Yeah, that. and I and I and I did it, and I came back, and they call those people boomerangs, and it does. It makes you. Uh, appreciate the things you, that there are worth appreciating and it makes you want to change things you've seen uh, be successful in other markets and other cities. I mean, part of like this naive idea of opening this coffee shop was what I experienced in the style of coffee shop in New York City. And so I knew in New York City it worked, so I just assumed it would work here and I wanted to present that experience to the market. Now, New York has a lot of other factors going for it, like density and, and a lot of wealth and other, other things like that. But there is a skepticism in St. Louis where, you know, uh, people are more uh, oftentimes you have to prove it or prove the proposition to people as opposed to other markets, people just want to do something new. They just like there. It's like, oh wow, let's go do this. Let's go do this, and then maybe they digest the experience or the value of the experience afterwards. But sometimes people in the Midwest are more skeptical, and they're like, well, why would I do that? Why would I want to do that? And then I think you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's some crime. There's been an uptick in crime, and and so there's just there there there's this feeling that. St. Louis is also in a transition moment with a new mayor and 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 just their its own sort of concerns and changes, but it doesn't have this fevered sense of building and construction and new sort of migration to the city that Nashville does. Nashville supposedly has like, you know, if you read the believe the real news or the fake news or whatever, something like eighty-five people a day moving to the city. <laughs> And so St. Louis does not have that. St. Louis as a city actually has classically had a net migration out of it. And it still continues to this day. So we are down mm -hmm. in terms of population from the 2010 census. So there's just this, you know, it's like when, when anything is growing, it just has a different sense to it. Whereas something's mature or waning it has a different energy to it. And I agree that Nashville, because it's just all of a sudden 
for whatever reason, the entertainment industry, the culinary industry, the medical, all the other industries that are there, it just you you feel like you if you just hop on board, that energy will take you with it. Whereas here, that intensity doesn't exist. And honestly, when I moved to New York, I went to school in San Francisco or the Bay Area in Berkeley. And when I started interviewing in New York, I got off the plane, and this is like 1999, 1998. I swear I felt, and I'm not really this metaphysical person, I felt energy. I felt like, yes, I want to be here. And this is like leaving you know, San Francisco and the Bay Area. And it was a totally different city then. Now when I go back to San Francisco, i like, wow, I didn't know it was going to be this. Maybe I should have stayed. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely see that. And I think, I think every young person, if you have the ability, you, you need to leave what you're most familiar with so you can go and see how other people do stuff, uh, see what other cities are doing to expose yourself, to make yourself vulnerable, so you can affirm the things you now know are tested and are value now you're like you don't you just didn't accept them you actually sort of affirm them Mm -hmm. and you can get rid of the things that maybe are just artifacts of thinking that you weren't challenged enough to kind of um shed so i i definitely think that travel and traveling in a way that's not just cosmetic yeah is important not just like I'm going to Europe for six weeks, right? Like to Not move vacation, but to and like become part of something. Root, yeah. yeah, is very important. I agree. Yeah. So that, I'm really looking forward to that. I've, it's interesting because out of like I've traveled a lot over the states, not so much abroad. Um, but in terms of proximity to St. Louis, Nashville intrigues me the most. Yeah, which is, I would say that too. Yeah, it feels to me like the L.A. of the South, and which I, I that man, might make, I really like L.A. right now. That yeah, me too. Our Downtown last visit to is, L.A. is going to like is really cool. Yeah, I would like to be in L.A. Too. <laughs> so but, yeah, if that feels it, it yeah. just seems to be right. Like it's like you're close to home, but you're away from home. So there's always the support, but you. I don't know, you can come up here on, on a weekend oh, if yeah, you got yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, like, sure, yeah. For you're not, family. like, cutting yourself off. Right. But I just want to be a part of that energy. Right. And, and, not, wanna, and not just be a part, but to contribute to, to, to it. Totally by contribute. By making something in some... I think some opening in Nashville, oh, yeah. I think people are really excited about it. I... I I hope so. Yeah, well, I hear <laughs> constant, like, it's, we're fortunate that I... A lot of people drive through, mm, mm-hmm. and I, a lot of people from Nashville. I don't know yeah. where they're going, yeah. but There's it's interesting of... that we get so many visitors. So it's really cool to already have like people excited about it. And I do think we can offer something in the industry that you know that is us, that is authentic, and it is different from mm-hmm. what's already there. Yeah. Um, I want. I know Nashville is going to be different from here in terms of just kind of the the flow and the vibe. Yep. But I don't think we're going to sway from what we've already built. I think the quality of the cup will be there. Yeah. Just how we get to that quality or execute the cup is going to be somewhat different. Yeah. Um, That's great. I mean, I'm excited about building efficiencies. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think the difference for people who've never been to either city or never been to Sump is that we are destination, so that means Definitely. we typically are not high volume, especially during the week. And as a result, we almost the entire shop is a slow bar at times. I mean, it's not always, right. but it can have that impression. And so that's great, and you get to create this intimacy and, and relationship with the product and with the people that consume it. But it's not great for making money and paying bills. <laughs> and so this opportunity in Nashville, hopefully when the project is mature and complete, not just Sump, but everything that's intended in terms of on the site where Sump will be, is that we're setting it in a location that's more convenient. And as a result, we'll have a different rhythm because it won't be people seeking us out. It will pe be people that will, in some instances, never heard of Sump or never heard yeah. of what we do, but will see the sign that says coffee and say, I want to go get a coffee. And we will have to make sure that their experience is exceptional and that if we have to say no and that we won't offer everything maybe that that's possible in coffee, that we do it in a way that somebody doesn't leave and feel, oh, that, that barista or that they're, they're too high and mighty to make my drink. or So, that we, that, so that's not off-putting so that it doesn't come across as arrogant, but it comes across as a style. And that's what we're doing. And sometimes when people ask me, um, like wholesale clients or something like that, might ask me to do a blend or do something different. I mean, sometimes, honestly, I don't know if I could make a blend good or I don't know if I could do a dark roast well. It's like I feel sometimes that like I understand the thing we do right now. And... Going outside of that one, I'm not personally motivated to because I yeah. like what we do in terms of the coffee. But I also don't know that I have, you know, the mastery to do it. We've been doing this style and this one thing for so long that I feel like I have a pretty good skill set with that. And then now all of a sudden to be like make a five bean blend that's, you know, second crack coffee or something. I, I... I think because I wouldn't enjoy it, I couldn't drink it and say, I've found the right spot for that coffee to live. I'd be like, yeah, this isn't for me, so I'm not even sure it's for yeah. anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to like it if you're yeah. going to make it. Yeah, I think and that's it. You got to yeah. – and that's one thing that we, I feel like we as a staff and a team is that we have cared very much. Like we invested our personal – taste and style in what we do that it's not like we didn't build a business model and say all right how can we get you know 400 people in here a day mm -hmm. and that means we need maybe some blenders and maybe you know right. a more bigger base bakery selection or something like that we are like i think we do this thing that's beautiful and we want to share this thing that's beautiful and it is also something that we feel we have a strength in and we're not going to like do other things that might end up mediocre because we don't have a passion or a strength or a desire to be in that space. And so, you know, that, that makes it a little different sometimes, I think, than somebody who's, you know, got an, this extensive, very broad menu to catch every generation of coffee drinker. But I still think we can 
provide every generation of a coffee drinker with an exceptional experience if given enough opportunity to prove that value proposition to them. If they are willing to give us enough of a chance for us both to kind of meet halfway yeah, as opposed definitely. to like, oh, you don't do this, well, then you suck. <laughs> so I, I don't know. And so we'll just have to see, you know, hopefully the spot we, we picked will have uh, just a, a greater square foot density of people. So that means we'll be more convenient. Hopefully we will find a way to easily convey to people um, what we're doing for people that aren't seeking us out as an experience, but are seeking us out as quote unquote coffee. And I think, I think that's, that's the difference and that's the balancing. And that's like, you know, some people in fine dining, like front of house people have told me that you engineer no at several points in the experience, but you do it in a, in such a way that it, you're creating a curated experience for people and you're not in any way creating something that's judgmental. And and this is this is the hard part even for me. Like if we say, all right, this is, let's say, this Reiko. This is how we like to present the Yurga Chef. It's light. It's tea-like from what this guy, this winemaker said. And somebody comes in and they say, um, I don't know. I, wanna, I want that with a shot of espresso too. <laughs> and we would say that I don't think it would represent well. And so we would like you not to have a bad experience. One, because we've never made that drink. So I don't want to sell you something that I've never tasted myself. And so we're going to mm. say no, but we're not judging that drink choice. We're, we're just trying to say, in terms of quality of control, in terms of what we know, I know if I give you this, I know exactly the experience you're going to have. And you may not love it, but we can talk about it and I can understand it. But if I put... So I have espresso on top of this. I have no idea what this thing becomes. And then it goes out of the shop and then you may hate it. And yeah. you may think that that's what we do and then take to social media and just say, I had the grossest brewed coffee with a shot of espresso that I've ever had in my life. And I might agree with you because I've never had it either. But so it's, it's a balancing. It's this push pull and it's a dialogue and given less time, Per customer in a busier shop, it's a question of how to do that without alienating people that are just looking for "quote unquote" coffee, right? And so I, th I think it, I think it will be challenging, and I, I just think we have to listen. And it took us a while to listen here. I was going to say we we have grown. I feel like the way we handle things now is completely different. Completely different. From Two years, three years ago. I totally agree. Um, and I, I do agree. It's always been about, and now it's more about experience than ever. I think we have a great product. Yeah. I, whether you like light roast, dark roast, medium, whatever, yeah. whatever your cup of tea is or coffee, <laughs> um, you can't knock the product, but you can definitely knock the experience. Yeah. So as long as we offer an experience that is hospitable, then yeah. like, you can't really... Then it's on you. Yeah. You, you add the shot to the brew. Yep. And I'm like, I'll, yeah, I don't know. Right. Like, yeah. Then that's... Like, I don't like that experience when I go to a restaurant or something. And, like, if I have choices yeah. and I create it, yeah. even though, say, the person 
who makes these things are making a superior quality product across the world. If I built it yep. and I don't like it, it's not their fault. Right. It's mine. But maybe then it is their fault because they're not controlling the experience. Yeah. I think there, there definitely needs to be this push-pull, this yeah. kind of like, let's meet in the middle. Let's, yeah. Yeah. And I think dialogue is important to yes. that. Yes. And like you were saying, it's about creating experience where you gain their trust. Yep. And, you know, make them feel comfortable and say, okay, m- let's not put this shot on the espresso. And, you know, this is why. And let's maybe try it as is and then have the coffee. And then you really experience well, yeah. you know, both. Yeah. Which is great. And yeah. it's it's cool that most people are willing to do that. Yeah. Especially now more than ever. Yes. Here, when they come here. Because we are a destination. So people are coming for the experience. Yeah. Not, like you were saying, just a cup of coffee. Yeah. So it's easier. But then, you know, in turn with Nashville and the density, and people are just coming in for a cup of coffee. And we do have to find a way to accommodate that as well. Right. And I think we are working. We do have that. We... You know, we don't have just bright, fruity coffees. Right. We have very balanced chocolate coffees, which are delicious. Yeah. And I think people who are just wanting a cup of coffee will be very pleased with that cup. Yeah. And that's great. And I think it it takes a time and experience, but you do have to be able to kind of read people and read the situation. Yeah. You know, some people want a lecture. Some people just want a cup of coffee. Right, right. So. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of that is maturity. And I think, you know, what you're saying is that you, you have to have some degree of empathy right. to be able to read people, to understand, like, okay, if I started, if I go back in time and, and this is me or this is what I want, you, you, have to, you have to be able to understand that and iterate or propose a solution that is, one, explains what we do, but gets that person close to what they were looking for that might not be exactly what they came in and asked for instead of like brewed coffee with a shot of espresso. Right. It might be like, well, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's very difficult. But as you said, you know, a few years ago, we would have just been a little more, well, probably not even a little more. We would have probably been come across as belligerent <laughs> and very inflexible. And now I feel like, now it's like, all right. We are going to have to do some things that um, we wouldn't do, that I wouldn't drink myself. Or, but let's explain it, and then, as you said, let let them craft it with the context of why we right. aren't putting yes. that on the menu. But yes, yeah, sure. Well, you want a shot of espresso to go? I mean, I know Sarah and Robert do that, and that was something that was like a hard no. And we can say. I will do that, but I, I think it will be, it's going to be small uh, in these cups. You're going to leach a lot of the paper taste out. I think it would be better outside that, but I will do that because you asked. But I think in terms of an ideal experience, I would recommend, since it is so small, that you just have it here in porcelain. And if they're still insistent, then that's, that's fine. That's on them. But at least, yeah, at least we've explained and set that. Yeah what we think their experience will be like up for them. Completely agree. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard because a lot of people don't... A lot of people who spend money want just what they want 
and they don't understand that like you know people like yourself and people like myself that have made this investment which is not lucrative no one's getting rich here um, that we've created a profession for ourselves and like any profession just like you might accord some deference to your doctor or to your favorite uh, you know, chiropractor or sommelier or something, we start to rely on them. But it's based on trust. It's nice if people at least have the same empathy back right. to the service provider to understand that you know, we're not trying to be arrogant. We're not trying to be better than them or vice versa. We are trying to create an experience that we hope they will come back to time and time again. We, you know, we're not here, um, you know, we're not a franchisee. We live and die by everything we do here. We don't have 50 other restaurants that will help buoy this when we're slow. And we are not trying to create an experience where people don't come back. That, that's a terrible business model. So if anyone perceives us being belligerent or arrogant or off-putting, I think that's, that's a mistake. And what we're really trying to convey is that we think the optimal experience for what we've created are through these paths or vehicles. And, and you know, we, we could be wrong, and we've matured over the last five years. We've made changes. We've tweaked. We did not open the door, and this was not our model. We had other things going on, too. Um, so we we are still growing and that's what going into Nashville will be it will be i you know i believe we have an exceptional product but we're going to have to convey it in a market that we both did not grow up in no so we we don't understand that sort of inherency of of you know what the Nashville mindset might be and how to fit in and, and become part of that and contribute. That's the whole idea is to, you know, Nashville's going through this tremendous growth rate, but we're not there to profiteer. Mm. We're there to create and contribute and be part of that energy. And that's the goal. It's like, I want to be a contributor. So when people think about Nashville and they think about coffee and they think about coffee experience, we're in that you know, number one spot, or we're in that, you know, one, two, or three. If you go, you got to go here, and you got to go here, and you got to go to Sump. That's what we want to do. We want to be, you know, a, a, a iconic part of what becomes Sump Nashville. I mean, or, you know, what's going on in Nashville, and then what ultimately becomes Sump Nashville. But I don't know, you know, I mean, any new thing is fraught with peril (laughs) so i'll be up i'll be cautious what's great about what we've created here is we genuinely get excited about the product yeah and if we can convey that in an experience that is accessible then it's authentic yeah and like you're saying it's not this profiteering or Mm -hmm. we're not like trying to catch all but as long as we stay true to who we are and are able to just share that and yeah it's gonna i think people will respond yeah because yeah we do have a good product yeah 
I'm excited to see how Nashville responds. Yeah, me too. And I think the shop's going to be awesome. I mean, we, we, um, you know, we're we're populating it with some new equipment. So I think mm. that kind of, in a way, um, will help us set the tone in terms of how we interact with the equipment and what that equipment allows us to produce. Um, if everything goes according to plan, we will roast down there too, um, and we'll roast on a different machine, which will give us. Again, another tool to explore coffee and, and, again, make something unique that is Nashville-specific Yeah, uh, is, that's, is the goal. It's, we're not trying to do the same thing. Right. We're, we're trying to grow. Right. We're, I mean, we're trying to create a if, – if this is a genuine uh, experience and people come here because they feel that quality and that connection to the people that make that product and that experience – we're trying to populate what we do in Nashville with that a same sort of esprit de corps, that same intention, that and that same feeling. Yeah. And and um, I don't know. I hope it works out. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, I mean, you can always move home. I guess I will. Uh, have to go through the bankruptcy courts and stuff. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I'm. So, I'm, ex- oh. I'm. 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 New things are always exciting, and they're also they're fraught with some fear and anxiety. Um, it's just the unknown. Yeah, but I, I think what I'm particularly hopeful with is that, or fortunate is that, is that you're going down there. And I mean, you've been with some before we were even roasting coffee. And if there's somebody that understands the spirit. And the mindset and what we're trying to do, it, it would be me or it would be you. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, in terms of it, it's, it's soaked in. You've done it day in, day out for the yeah. last five years. It makes it sound like a drudge, drudgery when you say it like that. But I, I feel like between you and between you know, me being down there half the week in the beginning and the people we bring on... I think we hopefully be able to set that same tone and right. inspire and reward people who also are interested in creating the same kind of experience that you know you've talked about. Yeah. And and that's the important thing is that everybody has to have buy-in to the dream. We can't that's- just have people that are passing through no matter what their skill might be, they have to believe in the enterprise, and they, you know, they they have to like what we do. It's it, they. I wouldn't want them to be miserable if they're like, I, I I work here, but I hate the coffee. So I mean, you gotta like be, you know, part part of the the, the enterprise completely. Yeah, you and, gotta like coffee. Yeah, and uh, and not just cafe culture. I mean, that's important. That's hospitality, but you really. I feel like everyone that works here, for the most part, feels that innately in their bones. It's part of it. It's not like they're here just to like flirt or socialize. Yeah. Although we have had people that pass through that were into that too. But sure. um, but yeah, I well, think I think our team. We're, right now, yeah, I love that. Throughout the week, I see 
our team as individuals come in yeah. and have an espresso yeah. or have a cup of coffee. That's true. And like that, I think that's great. Yeah. It stays in touch with what, like where the coffee is and just kind of grows. But the fact that you go out of your way on yeah. your day off and we all have, you know, individual busy lives that you just come in and you have a cup of coffee. Yeah. It's, and it's positive now. I feel like before people would come in as we were building this team, there was a little snarkiness like, oh, I pulled it. Uh, <laughs> I feel I felt no, like yeah. that at one time. I feel like now, no matter, even if the Reiko isn't in that sweet spot, but you want, you understand where it is and why it's there. It's not a snark. It's a supportive. It's like Definitely. you know, people are providing input not to put people down, but to share the experience to help shape that shot for the good of the shop, not just to be like, I'm the only one that can pull espressos here, you guys all suck, kind of. <laughs> Which I feel like sometimes that can be the case. It can, but yeah, what do you, I agree. I think not, it's just important to ask yeah, and then give honest feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Honest again, and constructive. It has constructive. to be Constructive. It has not, to be useful. You don't want to be a dick. Yeah, it can't you know, be like, like I wouldn't do that. Over-extracted. Yeah, you got to not say to, why. you got to give people the tools to move from the spot they're in. Right. You can't just be like, meh. Yeah, you got to be like, I think maybe you put too much time on the clock. Something like that. And that's cool. It's just that quick. Yeah. You know, this just this is a brief moment of the day. Yeah. But it happens. Right. And I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think for the last, like, maybe six to ten months, um, maybe a little longer, I think we've had the best fitting team that we've had at some ever. And it might go back a little bit further, but I know, like, it didn't always mesh well. I know that there were different pressures when I was on the bar more and didn't wasn't always super pleasant. But I feel like right now, the group we have as individuals... That, that that I mean, as well as anyone can that ends up have, being forced to work with people that start out as essentially strangers, I feel like it is it is a, is a positive team. It's not a toxic environment. There have definitely been individuals that have worked here that were more toxic, and it hurt the the, the team effort. And it and it, it I don't think it hurt the product, but it definitely hurt the again the the spirit of what everyone was doing. I think, yeah, and that translates to the experience because yeah. customers will pick up on that. Sure. You know, what's happening on the other side of the bar. Yeah. They can feel that tension. So, you know, a, a team working together, you can you can build that, but it's also, it's we're just really fortunate as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, you know, you, as you keep pushing forward, those people who didn't work out so well, yeah, they move on, and then hopefully the next one. Yeah. And then they fit, and then they're apart. Yeah. And even if they do continue on, you know, it was great for that moment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's magic. You know, as, as hard as you try, and I mean, me... You can't force it. Right, as a manager or whatever. It's kind of... It's like a super band, almost. <laughs> you know, you get all these really talented individuals. Yeah. And usually they get together, and you think, oh, this is going to be amazing. It usually sucks. Right. Or it's okay at best right you know, very rarely did it ever improve of what they've already done right individually uh, yeah. individually so yeah. yeah i think you know 
applying that to here, like what well, you and I, we've been doing this for so long now, you know, when we bring new people in, it's, you know, it's not that we're going to carry the whole group. They have to definitely bring something to the table yeah. and then that will fit. It will gel. It will eventually mold in yeah. to what we're doing. And hopefully, you know, they learn from us, but we also learn from them and help us see things differently. And I think with our group now, everyone kind of has their own strengths. They're almost like a little specialist. But yeah. we all can do the job. Yeah. I think we all have a, a, a standard. Right. A base. Right. And that, I think that's important that, you know, we've developed this team as of now that, again, they're, they're specialists. Yeah. They, everyone's a little better at something, but it, it helps, you know, all of our strengths help support each other's weaknesses yeah. right now. Yeah, it is. It is definitely like a complementary skill set. No one's like come in with the same overlapping thing or the same overlapping desire, and then you create that those immediate sparks and friction. It's like it's a right. very complementary skill set that exists yeah. in the like if someone comes in and is like you know really grinding, setting the bar on shots or latte art yeah. or brewing, and it's just like. But somebody was already doing it. There is going to be conflict, but hopefully, you grow. Yeah, you, you learn. Yeah, you got to be open to learning from others. That's like I actually learned from Robert. Hard. Yeah, about I used to like a year ago when you started doing like these little pre-brews. Yeah, I was always like, why? Like, what is that doing? Yeah, and I never fully understood it until we talked about it, and then just kind of like doing my own research and then I understand the implication of it but prior to that I would just be like what is that yeah. like what what does four seconds do yeah it's too random it's too random it yeah. came out of nowhere yeah but now it's like it's awesome it's just like we don't fully understand it but you know we kind of can see on a day to day basis the implication of that right. tool right yeah no I agree and that's that is a hard thing with new people come in, I think it's great that they bring perspective and voice um, and that they don't do it in a sharp-elbowed way, but they question some of the things we do because then that helps us understand why we did it. You right. know what I mean? I, I'm very, I take the coffee we roast and what people say about it very personally, whether it be a customer or a barista or whatever. And my initial reaction when I hear things I don't like is to bristle. And then I have to, like, count to ten and be like, all right, I got to take this seriously. Let's look at all this stuff again and new. And sometimes I understand why it was perceived that way, but I disagree. And sometimes I see it and I was like, yeah, this is, this is wrong. And then we have to make course corrections. Um, but it's, it's never done in a toxic or... The way it becomes toxic is if somebody's just trying to get what I'll call a hand or the high ground, like, I know everything, everybody else is below my sort of head height, but it is complimentary, and when people ask questions, they're asking questions because they generally have questions as opposed to trying to undermine right. somebody's position to make them less. So it would be great if, you know, back to Nashville instead of just this but, yeah. labyrinth that we build a team 
that also is striving for something great and they bring a complementary skill set to that framework but we're all in the belief that where here we are today but we're going to move the we're going to move the bar and we're going to be here tomorrow and it's hard to say what does that mean you know usually like that sounds like something you put in a powerpoint deck like this is our sales number this is where we're going to be next year and so it's <laughs> it's not as easy as that because it's a it's a it's a it's experiential right and it's a somewhat qualitative and somewhat subjective experience uh, everyone can kind of resonate i mean you know just you and i talking about this coffee i think probably 70 80 percent we see something similar and then outside of that we see other things and it doesn't make them wrong or right it just makes it inherently a subjective experience but then from that we figure out how to serve this or how to pull it as an espresso or how to move it forward or how to make it better we sort of take a step back and we look at everything we just said and we're like are these net positives or, or net negatives and if they're all net negatives then we're like well we need to like go back in there and roast and figure it out or change how we're brewing it and we do that and we pivot and sometimes you'll probably see me over the years you've seen me do this pout because I don't want to. I'm perfect. It's not easy. But you have to grow. You have to say, I've failed. And I need to find a better path. And, you know, the Limu is a very good example. That, that coffee was n- not bad. It was just not what we wanted it to be. We couldn't find it. And... Ultimately, you know, I believe maybe there's something else wrong with the coffee, but um, it was a struggle the entire time. And I would say of all the coffees we've had in here over the last four and a half years since we've been roasting, we have changed the most on that curve from week to week, from kind of batch to batch to try and figure out who that coffee was. And even at the very end, I was like, Robert, do whatever you want to this coffee. Just be as weird or as whatever. We weren't going to sell it. We had already gotten credit for it. And I was just like, just be you. Just take an experiment. And he did. And we cupped it. And you know what? It didn't tip it one way or the other. It was like, this is still the same problem. This is still the same Limu. This is, this is just not what we wanted to buy. Yeah. And, and, and it's hard to admit that. It's, I mean, I still don't know... I mean, I hinted that I think it was a coffee's failing, but I still don't know if it was, you know, a personal me knowledge. Like, I don't know enough to get it out of that thing to make it better, or it's just that coffee was only going to be that thing no matter what I did to it. But I think we're in, even with all that internal conflict, yeah. the coffee was liked people yeah, no, enjoyed no. it yeah. people sought it out yeah. there were customers regulars that would just literally buy bags of it yeah. so even though it wasn't maybe what we were looking for that, I think that's okay yeah. you know we found how to use it and yeah. how to make the best of it yeah like, I mean I'm, even, I, I wasn't I agree with you it's just it's like I, it's like visualizing I want I want to have more hair or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and it just doesn't work out. And it's that frustration. It's like, I want, I wanted that coffee to be the Reiko, I guess. Yeah. Or like yeah. a near approximation in the neighborhood. I wanted them to be neighbors at least. This, the Reiko, this type of coffee, 
this was literally the first type of coffee that actually like opened my eyes to coffee. Yeah. That like this is different. Like this isn't your typical cup of joe. Right. It wasn't a natural. It was just a washed yerk. It was a washed yerk. Yeah. And I was just like I was blown away. Yeah. I was taken back cuz I I drink a lot of black tea growing up. Yeah. Like half my family's English. It started with milk and sugar and then it was just lemon what whatever yeah. all that and then when i tasted that in a coffee yeah that's when i got hooked so yeah. this will always be like special special yeah. to me i get very excited about these well this is uh this has been interesting and i hope not too wasteful for anyone listening um but uh, i want to thank matt um you know look for the reiko online uh, look for Matt in the shop until probably the end of the summer, and then look look for him in Nashville. And uh, if you are in Nashville, um, come by sometime September, October, around Midtown, in Charlotte, and 28th, um, and look for us. Thanks. Thank you.